Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Okay, what's up? How you doing? This week, for the second time on Chat with Traders, my guest is Morad, or better known as Futures Trader 71. As you could imagine, FT is a futures trader. He's also very short term and has been trading for around about 16 years now. During this time, he was the founder of a successful prop firm and more recently has started a brokerage, Stage 5 Trading. First time around, on episode 37, we spoke extensively about FT's path of becoming a trader, market profile and volume profile, and creating a legacy. This time, we spoke about all new topics. For example, how to learn a new skill, how to measure your progress besides PL how to remove attachment to the outcome, how FT uses a regressive risk management strategy, and plenty more too. This is a really big episode and FT shares a ton of practical info. So if you need to, you know, listen two, three times and take notes as you're going. Actually, I'll also just mention quickly, there were a few minor glitches in the audio as we were recording. Please just roll with it. They only last a few seconds at most. Anyway, here we go. This is my second interview with Futures Trader 71. All in all, everything's really good. I'm very happy. Oh, awesome. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. We got a really great response from your last interview, so I'm sure this one will um, be well-received also. Hope so. Yeah. So anyway, I've put together a few notes uh, from my side. I think um, you know some of the topics I'd like to talk to you about uh, which I've mentioned to you on Twitter. So pretty much uh, trader development, risk management, managing drawdowns, um, tips for linking up with a really good broker. And I've also um, opened a Facebook group. Uh, so anyone listening to this, if the, you want to join, uh, chatwithtraders.com forward slash Facebook, completely free to join, of course. Um, I posted in there that I was having you back on the podcast and if there were any questions that um, some of the members would like to ask you. So I've got a few members that have come, uh, sorry, I've got a few questions that have come out of the Facebook group as well. So um, okay. we'll tackle those as we go. So um, I just requested to join that group. Ah, nice, nice. Good to have you in there. So, um, all right, well, let's roll into it. So if anyone hasn't heard our first uh, interview, 
which was on episode 37. So if you want to check that out, chatwithtraders.com forward slash 37. Uh, you guys can go and listen to the first time uh, we spoke. For anyone who hasn't heard that yet um, or who might be unfamiliar with who you are, FT, could you just give us a real quick sort of rundown on who you are, what you're all about, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. So the 30-second elevator pitch is uh, uh, I've been trading professionally for about 16 years now. I started out in equities as a SOS trader, um, as, as a SOS bandit, so to speak, uh, and uh, moved to futures. Uh, I started out in Florida in Boca Raton and uh, moved up to Chicago to trade futures at a prop group in the Board of Trade. And uh, essentially my entire trading career uh, has been in a group setting or in a professional environment. And now uh, I've moved away from being in a professional environment to creating a professional environment. I was running a prop shop at the Board of Trade for since 2004, from 2004 to about 2010. And then from there, I decided to, to look online and, and start working on other things. And uh, since then, we, I started a brokerage uh, with a partner. Uh, the brokerage is called Stage 5 Trading. And my focus within the brokerage is not to sell the brokerage or anything, but to focus on trader development. In other words, uh, my goal is to bring as much as possible, the experience I had as a prop shop operator, and I was very successful doing that, to, to the retail public. So uh, I'm pushing back. My goal is to push back against anyone that is in the business of just signing traders on, giving them the maximum leverage and kind of, you know, shooting them off and letting them sink uh, while they work on the next, uh, the next candidate. My goal is to help the industry by um, helping traders stay as traders for as long as possible. I'm not always going to be successful, but I believe slowing traders down and uh, helping them understand risk and so on uh, will help them get closer to achieving their goal of being a trader. So a lot of that, there's a lot of misinformation in our business, as I'm sure you've done so many interviews. I'm sure you've you've come across people who've said that before. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of uh, um, undue strain on traders trying to make it. And there's this veil of secrecy that I don't think should exist because it, did it didn't exist in my prop shop and we were successful. Um, we're not automated traders or anything like that, so we're not giving away any secret sauce. So I feel like the best thing, I, the best thing a, a trader can have is a structured, dedicated uh, community that they can trust and interact with, uh, and that'll help them move along as opposed to being with a one-on-one -on -one mentor uh, who may or may not know what they're doing. So that's, that's where I am now. Um, and I'm moving now that the brokerage is set up and it's running. I'm moving towards creating a substantial course uh, that takes uh, takes someone who's coming into futures or trading in general and carries them through the process of understanding all the important pieces to actually come out as a professional trader on the other side. So my goal is to now 
take those who want to pursue this and and provide a standardized process for coming out the other end almost like uh, someone who has you know an engineering degree or something there's a minimum amount of knowledge that they should have and that's the next big project I'm working on uh, so there's a lot going on uh, just the the short story is there's probably too much going on for my own health but I enjoy it all <laughs> always good to keep busy though that's right so one of the things I didn't pick up on last time when I had you on the podcast, uh, which I wanted to ask you about this time around, is the story of the So's Bandits. I mean, they they were quite well known um, when they were around. Can you give us a little bit of background and a little bit of context around who were the So's Bandits and what did they do? Sure. So the So's Bandits started way before my time. Uh, the, the They started around 1990. Uh, and it was it was generally um, there was a group headed headed by someone named Sheldon uh, with Daytech Securities, and what this group did was for the first time they managed to get level three access, level two access, meaning they can see the the full depth of the market on the various um, Nasdaq stocks, and uh, they could see. What the institutions are bidding and offering on any given stock. So, uh, depending on which stock is in play, most common stocks that were in play at the time were Microsoft and JDSU and uh, tech tech companies like that. And what they did was they found a way to use what's called the SOS system. The SOS stands for a small order entry system, and it was designed to fill small lot orders. Uh, as opposed to going to a normal, um, a clear market maker like um, Island or what we call an ECN, uh, to fill normal normal size lots. Except we were trading anywhere between ten and forty thousand shares per order. So it was an exploit of the system. And what happened with the Daytech Group is they they figured out this this way of getting quicker quotes than than the traditional method by using the SOS system and being able to route these orders across the board uh, as opposed to having to go through ARCA, Inca, Island, and so on, this a specific uh, clearer. And so they exploited this and then built an entire business around it. I mean, there was a point where their shop had hundreds of traders in it. I was not in that process. I was still... Uh, that was way before my time, but uh, in 2000, I came across several people who were, who were incubated in that process, uh, were trading actually out of uh, in Arizona, uh, and had moved to Florida, to Boca Raton, Florida, and so they were trading the same process. Uh, the, it was a room of about 25 traders, uh, some of whom were making ridiculous money. I mean. The Daytech Group, in general, there were there were many many traders in there making over half a million dollars a year doing this brainless uh, manual arb, uh, just buying in front of size, selling in front of size, um, and that's what we were doing for a while. So you would have a screen that had 
maybe 10 products, 10 boxes, level two boxes on it, uh, various stocks. And you are just constantly monitoring for size coming in uh, and pushing the book, you know, an institution coming in and just putting, you know, a massive order of, say, 10 million shares to buy. And then they start to move that order up because they needed to fill it. And you would just be buying in front of them and then selling to them as they upticked. And when they upticked, they upticked in what was called a teeny, which was one-eighth of a dollar, which is 12 and a half cents. Uh, so that made the bid-offer um, the bid offer uh, uh, spread really large on, say, 10,000 shares. Uh, and, and that caused some guys to, I mean, some of the guys I traded with had, you know, not that this is typical, but um, they, they would have, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollar days um, doing this. Uh, and so when I joined, uh, when I joined, I, I was trading 200 share lots. It took me a while to figure out what was going on. I had no idea what a bid is or an offer is. Um, and by the time I had it figured out, 9-11 had come around, and also uh, the market went from uh, teenies to decimals. So you went from a 12.5 cent spread to a penny spread, and you're doing this ARB, right? So you're doing this, you're basically acting as a market maker. So all of a sudden, a lot of these traders just fell out uh, because there was no edge anymore. Um, so with high frequency and the penny uh, spread, that ended up drying up, and it certainly dried up with 9-11 when the market was closed for two months. So I took what was left in my trading account, which I ran up from around $54,000 to a lot more. And I took that, and I, um, I bought a home with it. I thought trading was done with. I bought a home in West Palm Beach and uh, was looking for something else to do when I found out that there were still some opportunities in the equities side. Um, and I joined Schoenfeld in Boca Raton and traded with them for a while and then found out about futures. Uh, and ended up, uh, a friend of mine and I ended up jumping into a car and driving for 20 hours overnight to Chicago to find a spot in a prop shop to trade futures. So my stint in the SOS environment uh, lasted about a year, a little over a year. Okay. And and it wasn't something that I uh, you know I, I could tell from the very beginning that it was all based on how much money was being made. There was really no compared to the investing and the the tr personal trading that I was doing before it. Uh, it it just you could tell that it had no sustainable value uh, overall. But uh, as I said, there were a lot of Porsches and Ferraris and so on parked in the, the outside, and there was the allure of showing up. I mean, my first day showing up, I sat behind someone who was up eighteen and a half thousand dollars in the first hour. You know, you can't. It's hard to resist that. Uh, so that that's. But Sos was was something that uh, that was cheap, and it was it was uh, an exploit that uh, just like all exploits in the financial market. Uh, it lasted for a while. A bunch of people benefited from it, and then that edge disappeared. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now that was really interesting to get your take on that FT and uh, the SOS bandits. Um, I noticed they're actually really heavily profiled in Scott Patterson's book, um, Dark Pools. So if anyone listening is keen to hear more about that, that's a good place to look. And also, if you want to hear more about FT's story about how he came into this business, check out um, chatwithtraders.com forward slash 37 for our first interview. So 
One of the topics I'd really like to dig into now is traded development. Let's start by talking about what's the process of how to actually learn a new skill. I mean, I think this is a big problem that a lot of traders actually have is, is knowing the process of how to learn a big a new skill. Because when we're in school, we have a structured learning environment, but trading, we're pretty much on our own with no structured learning environment. What's What's your take on this? How should we go about learning a new skill, just taking it back to basics? That uh, was the biggest puzzle I had to face when I was uh, in a uh, in a prop shop in futures because that's the first time when I got exposed to having to be responsible for another trader to train another trader for a portion of their profits once they made the turn. And it was a big part of um, my, my preparation for my own prop shop. How do we learn most effectively? I come from – I did a lot of sports growing up. Um, I, I played a lot of um, soccer. Uh, you guys call it football um, and and uh, basketball. And it's pretty much when you're looking at uh, trading. And by the way, when I was hiring, I always favored those who are uh, who are in a sport on a competitive level. Actually, I always favored anyone that was doing something on a competitive level, even if it's chess or music or whatever these these all require the same level of focused um focused deliberate repetitive consistency and this is the challenge the biggest challenge that i see with traders right so traders like to come in and they want to take every ounce of knowledge uh, they can get, and then they try this and dabble in that, and try that and dabble in this, and there's really no measured, sort of consistent, repeating process, uh, which is required for the 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 skill to eventually show that trader what works, what doesn't, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are. And that's really important as it's an important part of the process because you want to play to your strengths. Like my strength is reading order flow. Um, I want to, but I don't, I cannot trade just around order flow. So I create a hypothesis on the day, several of them, but I'm really focused on order flow to the point that if my hypothesis is wrong, the damage is not that great and I can always improve my position in the market. But to answer your question, what, what, you, what traders need to know is that this is not going to be easy. And I know that it sells more books and courses and tools and indicators to say all you have to do is install this or you, all you have to do is read this amazing book uh, and you'll have it figured out. But the process usually is uh, requires longer than you think, is more expensive than you think, and requires a lot more dedication than you think. And you will learn a lot more about yourself when you go to trade than you think you will. And in the end, my the thing I always told my traders when I was interviewing them is I can't guarantee your success, but I can guarantee that no matter what, 
when you walk away, when you come out the other end, whether you didn't make it and had to be cut from the prop shop or, or made it and passed your agreement and are independent, you will know yourself a lot better, you know. But the process has to be, um, has to focus on the stages of competence, okay. And, and it's understood that everybody comes in and they think, they think they know what they need to know or they think they can acquire it by reading books or looking at blogs and so on. Uh, but what they don't know is what they don't know. Like they, they have no idea what lies beyond their field of view. And so what you need in that situation, first and foremost, is someone else who knows that you can trust. And that someone else can be a person or a group, preferably a group, uh, who can who can help you expand on the knowledge without adding too much baggage, too much fluff, and without misleading you. And it's very hard to do in the financial, in the trading business, because there's a lot out there that is very misleading. There are, there are a lot of mentors who have never traded professionally. There are a lot of um, program or indicator or system makers who have not seen success in that system and therefore selling it, uh, things like that. I've seen a lot of things which I was completely oblivious to before 2009 when I came online and started to look around. Um, and that's, that's, that's why my focus is to cut through all that and kind of I, I see a great benefit to just saying, here's what it's going to take. It's, it's very ugly. <laughs> you know, It seems very difficult to overcome at first. Uh, but in the end, it's, it's all contingent on your ability to recognize within yourself what needs to change and to make that change. Uh, so to answer your question, you know, what does it take? It takes a little bit of help and the understanding that much of the time that you will focus uh, will probably be on learning a, a, a trading system or an edge that'll make money. But really, what it's going to take for you to make money is not some trading system or an indicator. It is your ability to execute on something that has a, an edge in the market. Um, I, I don't know if I answered your question there. Yeah, no, I think that was a, that was a really good answer. And I mean, we're going to go a little deeper into this as well. So, how can we avoid spending time on things that don't matter? Like how can we be aware or conscious of the things we're spending time on that they're actually the right things that we should be spending time on? Like how do we know where to um, funnel our, our focus? So that's the part where it helps to have a group, uh, to be part of a group uh, or to be to have someone who – has some tenure experience in the market, they help narrow that field down for you. I'll give you an example. I have never, um, I had a, an almost a 92% success rate on my, in my prop shop, and, and I define success as um, a, a trader completing their three-year contract and leaving on a positive uh, with a positive with positive equity, including membership, uh, that's my measure of success. And my job was to uh, kind of corral 
that energy. You know, someone comes in and they think, oh my God, if I do this, oh, I, I noticed that this happens and this happens and only if I can throw a 500 lot in the bonds to make millions of dollars in one day. No, we're going to focus on just this today. Today, you're going to focus on getting in long and scratching the trade. That's all you're going to do. You need to build trust in your ability to take yourself out when things aren't working right. You need to build trust in, in your ability to uh, react to the market without emotion or with as little emotion as possible, um, as opposed to going out and finding the best curve-fitted, optimized, moving average possible for the product that you're trading. You know, to me, that is not something you can grow from. Um, I think you, you had an interview with Jeff Davis, who's a friend of mine, great guy. And he said a lot of the exact right things uh, as far as, you know, just focus on, just push, technically push enough to find something that suits your uh, suits your personality, that you can then look for an edge in. In other words, test it out whether it's by clicking in a simulator and penalizing your exits to make up for the you know unrealistic fills or whatever. Uh, but push to the point where you can um, simply feel comfortable doing something, doing and living with it. And then once you've done that, now you can refine that particular thing. And it could be as simple as, you know, I will trade with FIBS or I will take the, you know, the reversal trade after the market opens and that's my trade of the day. If you can master that one trade or you know, three or four signals, three or four setups. If you can just become the supreme commander of those signals, I have money that's going to stand behind you and say, okay, let's turn it up. Let's go from trading two lots to trading tens, fifteens, twenties, 500 if we need to. And that's the way to make money. It's better than this process that I see traders go through where they try what Aaron's last guest is doing. Then they try the next guest and then they get on chat with traders later and decide automation is maybe their thing. And then they fall back. Maybe I should test a moving average crossover. Uh, this guy's using stochastic. So let me look at that. And what you end up with is a whole world of people, of traders who have invested a tremendous amount of time, a commodity that we cannot recover, uh, just bouncing from one thing to the to the next, all of which could work, all of which might fail, but they have spent so much time at the beginning of the learning curve over and over and over that they have not been able to master that one thing. So to answer your question, if you find yourself constantly changing and changing and changing the, the approach that you're taking to the market, then you know something is wrong. You, For me, it was scalping you know, order flow. And when that didn't work anymore, I started to look at pretty much everything, just like everybody else. But then I, I started to look at volume profiling. I went from market profiling to volume profiling. And I started to notice with detailed notes, I started to notice that there are certain things that happen consistently just enough for me to be able to exploit them with size. Um, and if I can 
exploit them with size and keep my targets modest, my stops modest, I am able to create a positive outcome overall, a positive expectancy. And all that's left is for me to be confident enough in my numbers to put on a, a good amount of size. And that's where the money's made. The money's not in buying the low, selling the high, selling the high short, and buying the low back. I don't I think that's that's a fantasy. The money is in grabbing small, definable um, chunks of the the rotations that happen throughout the day in the time frame that that is suited to you that you feel comfortable in. Some people feel comfortable in a fifteen minute time frame. Some just want to be in and out in a matter of a few minutes. Uh, just whatever is comfortable for you, the market's there to offer you the opportunity to make money or lose money depending on you know, whether that time frame is in favor or not. I know that's a lengthy answer, but um, it's, uh, I'm combining a lot of different experiences that I've had, uh, especially with our current clients in our brokerage. And my focus is always to not say, hey, look at this additional thing, look at this additional thing. My focus is constantly to, no, cut it down. No, you don't need 12 setups. You need maybe three or four, maybe five. You know, Become incredibly good at these five setups, whatever they are. And that's where your deliberate focused practice should, should lie. That's what, where all of your journaling, tracking, and statistics should be built off of. These three, four things. Uh, that you're exploiting on a daily basis. Uh, and that's, that's the way to know if you're completely lost. How do, you, how, do you, how do you narrow down the field? You narrow it down by knowing that I cannot, I cannot be like a weather vane, just switching directions de- depending on the prevailing wind for that day. Uh, if you're doing that, then your chances are you're losing something that's very, very important. It's not the money in your account, it's the time uh, that slips by and, and reduces your chances of being able to make the turn and make a living at this uh, in a reasonable amount of time. Mm. I really like your emphasis on the time there, FT. I think that's a really important point to make. One of the other things you said in your response there was you know, finding an approach that fits your personality. And this is something we hear quite often, uh, especially on the podcast. Um, from speaking with a, a number of listeners, I know this is actually something they struggle with. They're like, well, how do I know if something fits my personality? Like, how do I find that? How do I know if this approach is a good fit for me? Because the chances are, even if you do find an approach that is a good fit for you, you're still not going to be consistently profitable with it right away. It's still going to take some time. So, I mean, do you have any tips and pointers for how someone can identify when a strategy or an approach to trading is well suited to them? Okay, that's that's a fair question. Um, to answer that, I would have to look at the specific person, but let's take you, for example. You started out wanting to trade. You deposited, I believe it was $5,000 into an account, and you wanted to learn how to trade. And that led you to exploring, how do I trade? And I believe that led you to this broadcast, right? Which is a very, very successful broadcast. Is that, do I have the history right? Uh, essentially, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. So, Aaron, how would you like to trade wheat using moon cycles? How does that sound to you? Yeah, no, that, that's not appealing to me. Okay. That's not your that's not that doesn't suit your personality. How would you like to trade corn using the price of sugar? That may be something you'll be interested to look into as long as there's a correlation, maybe not. But if you do the study and find that correlation, you'll suddenly find yourself it's it's more of a feeling. You find yourself absorbed by this approach. For me, it was, you know, the NASDAQ is moving up, the S&P is sluggish, the Dow is starting to move up. I'm buying the S&P. I'm ready to sell the NASDAQ if it doesn't, it doesn't continue and the S&P starts moving down. And I'm going to do that five, six hundred times a day, trading anywhere between two to three thousand round turns a day. That's all I did when I started trading futures. And that appealed to me. It was quick. If I was wrong, I was immediately out. But over time, it didn't feel right anymore because it seemed like I was taking tremendous risk for very little return. So in my process of exploring other things, I felt that, you know, fibs may be the thing to look at. And I got excited about studying fibs and Elliott waves and and Drummond geometry and Gartley's and I've looked at all these things but there was always this sense that I don't get it this makes no sense or floor pivots floor trader pivots I'm sure you've heard of those the mathematical mathematically based numbers uh, that come off of yesterday's open high low close that are computed and used for today's trading that Mathematically, that sounded okay, but to me, I wanted my personality such that I wanted to understand what makes the market, what is it trying to do when it's moving up? What is it trying to do when it's moving down? And why does it sometimes move down with no volume and sometimes it moves down with a lot of volume? And so organizing the information in a way that explained these things that that appealed to me, um, gave me a home, right? So I, I looked for an, expl an explanation using market profile, but market profile uses 30-minute time slots, doesn't take any, uh, volume into account at all. But when I started to switch, and this was by accident, um, my trading software, which was a CQG uh, integrated client, had this option to turn on these volume bars, and I turned them on. And in fact, on my ladder, on my X-Trader, uh, my TTX Trader Pro, the ladder had these bars on the side that showed you how much traded at each one of the prices up and down the ladder. And I started to notice as the market moved towards prices that had very little volume, it tended to bounce the first time uh, as a push to those prices, it would take a small bounce before it failed and it would push through and then it would pull back to that low volume price before it continued. And so I started to, to look at what if I looked at things from the perspective of volume per price over time so I can see yesterday's volume per price, last week's, last month's 
you know, everything since the last swing low or swing high. And that's, that made a lot of sense to me. And so that's, that became the thing that I got excited about. And I threw everything else away because that made sense to me. It suited my personality. I had this particular curiosity. Whereas we have other traders within stage five, for example, who trade tremendous size, who are going basically by um, a stochastic type of read on multiple time frames. Um, that's, you know, if I talk to them about volume profiling, uh, they would get glassy-eyed and start to start to yawn. Um, they've found what they like or what makes sense to them, what excites them, and they've spent time focusing on those things, deliberately testing and checking and playing back bar by bar what is happening as, as the day develops over time. And pretty much every trader I know that has gotten anywhere with trading and I've known some really big ones here in Chicago, they generally come from the field of, I trade my feel, didn't do very well, then decided, forget the feel, I'm going to go back and just go bar by bar by bar and study what the market is doing, whether it's pattern trading, candlestick, uh, using some sort of a, an indicator, uh, and so on. Each one of the, those people got to the point where they suffered enough with with the poor outcome of their effort to go back and say, let me dig down and find just what I need. Just basically bare bones, cut back to exactly the minimum amount of information I need to make a decision. Uh, and it boils down to what is the statistical probability of something continuing after a, a specific event. You know, we have a large bar, an expansion of range on an expansion of volume, um, then every time that's happened, or most predominantly uh, when that happens, we generally get a continuation, another expanded bar on higher volume, but not as high as the first time it happened. And those are what I call impulsive and continuation trades. I can hardly catch the impulsive trade because it happens without warning. That's big money coming in and out of the market. But I can certainly try to do something with the continuation trade. And a continuation trade has a 78% probability of if it's, a, if it's an impulsive move up, then a continuation trade generally has a 78% probability of testing after pulling back, of testing that first high. So imagine the market moving up all of a sudden with great strength, and then it pulls back, creates this flag. And 78% of the time in the S&P minis, it will retest that last high, the original push, uh, you know, that's something I can really get into. Uh, so it's really a function of trying a bunch of things and then focusing on shedding everything else. Uh, whereas most traders spend a lot of time just accumulating and accumulating and accumulating and never really shedding. They're, they're looking at so much on their charts, it's impossible to make a decision uh, without second guessing it, you know? So that's, that's where the words find something that you're comfortable with basically essentially means, sure, go out there and explore, but eventually narrow it down to something that you really like and, and you know, make it as simple as you can. 
Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so just to take it the next step and to continue on this point, do you have any suggestions for how developing traders may be able to monitor their progress? Because the reason I ask that is because, like I mentioned just before, usually when you come to start trading a new strategy um, or take a new approach to markets, there is inconsistency in the beginning um, and often for the first few years. So is there another way to measure your progress besides just P&L? Great question. I am very anti-PNL um, as a measure of progress. And the example of that is if you look at any profession in which there's a, a, a pretty sizable demand, meaning uh, there's a good payout. Uh, think of a cardi- cardiologist or cardiosurgeon or a brain surgeon. You know, there's a high demand for that kind of skill set, and so we pay a lot for it. Imagine if you had, if you needed brain surgery, and your surgeon happened to have measured all of his progress throughout med school, his residency, his or her residency and fellowship and everything else, was simply making the decisions on your health care based on dollars they earned. So I am going to do this particular procedure, even though you may not need it, because it gives me the maximum profitability. Profitability. Or I can take care of the same issue by putting you on a course of antibiotics, which will make me $100 instead of $100,000, but may save you from going through risky surgery. So if we measure everything by P&L, we find that the, the, the world would be a, a, in a much worse place. And that is exactly what happens with trading. If you're sitting there... If you're a trader who's listening to this and you spend much of your day trading while your P&L is flashing on your screen, you are essentially putting yourself in a situation where it's very, very, very difficult not to start trading that P&L. In other words, your trading decisions are not based on market behavior, market structure, and the auction. 
they start to become something that is based on how you feel about the amount of money you've made or how, how you feel about how much money you've lost. You notice that most traders who are trading within their plan, they trade very little. They're there's a lot of space in between trades because they're waiting, they're being patient enough to wait for the next setup. Traders who are losing money generally have their PL on their screen and generally are trading minutes apart. It's unrealistic that on good days they have to wait a half hour, hour, maybe two hours in between trades, but on bad days, they're waiting two, three minutes, and that's because they're measuring their performance with their P&L. You want to measure your performance, you have to track a little bit more information. Mainly, you need to track your errors. That's a huge thing. I have shown in the past, of course, on this broadcast, we can't we don't have any visuals, but I have taken someone's live trades and someone who was very diligent about recording each trade and whether it fit within the plan or if it's an error trade. Error trades, um, error trades are things like trades that where you took a long when you should have taken a short. Uh, you have fear of missing out, FOMO. You've chased the market instead of waiting for it to get to your price. Um, taking someone else's trade. In other words, there was no trade for you, but someone said they just got long. That person made money on the last trade in your chat room or on Twitter or whatever, so you just decided to jump in with them. That's an error trade. A, a technical error trade, meaning you click the wrong button or something. Um, and, and there are two others. And if you track those errors and you take those errors out of your performance, you would be absolutely astounded as to how much those errors cost. So you, your goal as a trader is not to look at how much money that I make on a daily basis. I mean, it's nice. That's why we're here. We're, we're here to make money overall. But you're not going to, just like the doctor or the surgeon or the engineer, your next trading decision is irrelevant of what your PNL is. In fact, your current trade is absolutely discrete in nature, meaning it has no relation to the prior trade. So your PNL is creating this artificial link in between all of these trades that are completely unrelated. Whether you made money on the long last time does not mean you'll make money on this long this time because the short may be in order. Um, so it's better to track, first and foremost, are you, is your execution in line with your plan? So you need to start tracking your errors and you need to start tracking how each trade has performed on its own. And the way I like to track a series of trades is not through overall PL, but through expectancy. So we're looking at essentially what the average gain or loss, what the average gain or loss is over a large sample. And the minimum sample size for anyone to consider whether or not they have an edge is probably about 50 trades, the absolute minimum. And so you're stringing together this expectancy, and we're looking for expectancy in terms of ticks or points instead of dollars. Let's keep dollars out of this. Let's keep dollars to bookkeeping on the weekends. But during the trading week, you want to track 
you know, here's my plan. Here's how I executed on my plan. I executed every trade on my plan. I executed one out of five trades. I executed five out of five trades. Who knows? But you want to focus on how are you interacting relative to what you plan to do. That's so much more important because your exercise, your, your attention to become a professional is on the moment-to-moment execution, not the fact that you rode you know, a 10-point run in the S&P on a 12-point range day and you're a superstar. To those people, I say, watch out. Watch your risk. You're about to get whacked by the market because that sort of thing gives people false confidence. But if you can come to me and say, even if you're trading for me, and you came to me and said, look, I lost $5,000 this month, uh, but here's my log, and I see that you have essentially followed your plan for the most part, and you have very few errors, I would say, great job, keep going. Because it just means that you're executing your plan, but your plan does not have an edge for that particular period of time. And every edge disappears and reappears and disappears and reappears. There are times when the market's in balance. There are times when the market's trending. And you may be someone who has a plan that is, has more emphasis on balance than trend. And so you will lose. It's kind of like a, an automated trading system. Everybody has an edge for a period and everybody has a drawdown for a period. It's just the nature of the business. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, that was an awesome answer. I really liked how you explained that. And this this next question might sort of prompt for a similar kind of answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway and you can give me your take on it. Traders are often attached to the outcome. Now, that's that's quite a problem. What would you say about this? So, yeah, huge, huge, huge issue. Um, I and I know there are some psychologists out there who who probably focus all their attention. Trader psychologists who focus their attention on this. So, attachment, and I try not to get spiritual on you. Attachment is um, is a key source of suffering, and and I'm not a Buddhist or anything like that. But it is it is true. In trading, um, let's take let's take the typical new recruit to a prop shop to my prop shop. Okay, so I put up twenty five thousand dollars in futures for the next trader into a sub account. I go out to through this and do this extensive process of selecting uh, a new trader. Uh, a lot goes into that. And then that trader comes in and starts to go through a course of understanding what a futures contract is, how to create an index, all this theory. And then very quickly, that's about a week. And then very quickly, they switch over into a simulator and understanding all the different order types and everything else. So still a technical part of the process that takes about, so we're about three weeks in. Then that trader spends about a month on SIM, and the month on SIM is really dedicated to the process of, of lo- watching the market tick by tick by tick from the time they get in till the time they leave, documenting what they've done. And they develop an understanding of how the, their particular market flows. And all traders start out 
on a, a thin index like the Dow, something slow enough and so on to follow along. But I never tell them, no, you need to trade a Dow or no, you need to trade crude. No, you're going to do the Euro stocks or the DAX or whatever. It's really a function of looking at different markets and deciding which one suits your personality, sort of, so which one is, is not boring you to death, really. And so once they've done that, they've pretty much accumulated all the technical skills that they need uh, and have a false confidence in their edge. And I know this. And so they start to trade live. It takes a trader a process of burning through. Out of the $25,000, they'll burn through about 18000 in general, somewhere between fifteen and 20000 so we'll average about 18000 in losses. Um, as they work out their issues and so on. So the technical side of things really gets all wrapped up at about five to six weeks. And then they spend the next four to six months getting over the personality psychological problem. The great majority of the cost of backing a trader or turning a trader from an absolute novice who has, have, has no idea what a trade is to someone who's clicking every day and consistently seeing a positive outcome on most days, 80% of the time is spent on the psychology, the psychological personality issues. And a huge chunk of that 80% is the attachment problems, what I call the attachment problem. It is the fact that we are unable to let go of what has happened and to look at it for what it is. So the fact that you lost money yesterday because yesterday was a choppy day or whatever and it wasn't your type of day, the f you have to look at that in its own box. And you have to take that box and kind of put it away and look at today as its own discrete new session. Just like you have to look at every trade today from trade to trade to trade as its own discrete outcome. And each discrete outcome has an equal chance of either winning or losing, 50-50. Even though you might have a 70% win rate, even though you might have a profit factor of 1.5 to 1 or something, it doesn't matter. The very next trade is has an outcome that is absolutely unknowable. And I think I talked about this in our first session, but it's just, it's so hard for people to see that. I'll give you an example. Imagine if Messi, every time he would go to the goal and he would miss, he would take a shot at the goal and he would miss. Imagine if for the rest of the game, he is measuring his next shot at the goal based on the last shot. Okay, I went too far to the right. Now I'm going to shoot to the left. And I'm doing it with a heartache and I'm doing it with anger and resentment and I'm disappointed in myself. Just imagine if that happened every time he kicked the ball. He would be a terrible player, just as there are many, many terrible players in many, many sports who are angry at the fact that they missed an easy shot or they should have smashed the ball and they end up hitting it outside of the line in the tennis court or whatever. 
What you have to do as a trader is the same thing that you have to do as an athlete, and that is to recognize that every contact you have with whatever it is, the market, the ball, every contact is discreet. Its, its outcome is absolutely judged within itself, and that is so hard for people to get. Now, don't mistake this with the fact that you need an overall edge, that if you string all of these discrete outcomes together, you get a sample of N, you know, N sample of data, and the overall outcome the overall outcome of that entire sample has to be positive. It has to be profitable. In other words, you can't have a system that loses 70% of the time and is, makes one-to-one uh, profit to risk, you know, profit to stop, and expect somehow to make money. It's, not gonna, it's mathematically impossible. But if you, if you know that hey, my very next trade has absolutely no connection with my very last trade, then I can trade freely. I can just look at the market for what it is right now. And that's detachment. And so detachment should not be mistaken with carelessness. Like when I say, hey, uh, you know, Aaron, you need to be detached from outcome, the outcome of what's happening. It doesn't mean that, you know what, forget about risk. I don't care. I don't care what happens. That's not detachment. That's just carelessness. That's foolishness. Detachment just simply means I am not defined by this trade. I am not defined by a series of today's trades or this week's worth of trades or this month's worth of trades. That is not who I am. I'm not a good trader just because I had a good month. I'm not a bad trader because I had a poor month. I am just trading my plan. And my plan says that if I follow, if I follow the process and follow my risk rules, the overall and the overarching outcome is going to be positive. And so if you start to decide, and that's what happens to people who get emotional or who fight the market. They are in a deep process of attachment. And let me tell you something. This is much easier said than done. It requires an awful lot of maturity and introspection and most importantly it requires a tremendous amount of self-awareness to understand that oh look at ooh, ooh, I'm starting to get hot here I'm starting to get irritated it's time for me to take my hand off the mouse and go for a walk go make lunch go refill my cup of coffee or whatever let's break the cycle and that's you know that's the old cue routine reward that's covered in The Power of Habit, one of my favorite books by Duhigg. You have to break that cycle, and the only way to break that cycle is to bring light to it in the form of awareness. So if you find that you took a great trade, you know, you wanted to get long in the ES today before this rally up, uh, you took a long and you just put your stop, and that stop happened to be the low of the day and the market hit your stop and then it turned around and it ran up 16 points like it did today, you, you can't attach all this 
They're watching me. I am cursed. Nobody can do this. It's a lie that people can trade and make money. This is all rigged. This is all for the big guys. None of that is relevant. None of that is relevant. You have to understand that there is a statistical probability that your stop is going to be the high of day or low of day, and it just so happened that time that was your time, you know? And if you look at it from a journaling perspective, you'll find that that occurrence, the fact that you caught the entire range of the day or the fact that you got stopped at the high or the low of the day, the occurrence is a lot less significant than your mind thinks it is. And the mind thinks that it happens a lot more often and you're, mu- you're the unlucky guy because you have the strong attachment to wanting every trade to be a winner. And that's what most people do. We did a trader intervention. Um, as a, as it's a normal feature of, of being at stage five. I did a trader intervention on a guy, guy named Michael today on his live results. And, you know, th- th- you, you, I, I really wanted to impress upon him the fact that how he remembers things because he's not – the issue he's having really is he's not keeping good track of what's happening. He has this confirmation bias in his mind. He's, he's remembering things not really as they are and we all do this. We, we spend a lot of time avoiding the loss. I cannot as a professional trader – spend all of my time figuring out how I can avoid a loss. For me, I look for a measured loss that is balanced with a profit target for every trade, and my job is to take every trade. If I can manage it a little bit better because I have an insight, maybe you know, the market's not moving in the direction I, I'm looking for very easily. It's moving in the opposite direction very easily or size is coming in and pushing the market in the opposite direction. I might use that as a cue to reduce my unit size. I might go from a 48 lot to a 12 lot or a 6 lot. Uh, but I still have to take the trade because I know that I cannot attach myself to the fact that my last trade was a loss and so on. Okay. Does that make sense? It's really an important topic, and it, it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to get beyond it. But it's a big part of those people who are struggling to make this happen. It's a big part of the issue is is just understanding that what happens right now is really not connected to what happened last time, and cannot be connected to what happens in the future. Because the, the, the past is, is unchangeable. The future is fabricated. All I can do is focus on what's the trade right now. And, and saying it is easy, I know, but it's your job is to sit there and really focus your attention on the idea that I have to follow each trade as if it's the first trade of the day. Follow each trade as if it's the first trade of the day, all day, every day. Wow. <laughs> what a brilliant answer. That was that was really, really good. I'm pleased I asked that. And thank you for going into so much detail uh, with that answer. I think that's going to help a lot of people listening to this podcast right now. I hope so. One of the other things I wanted to ask you uh, while we're on this subject is, do you have any any tips and pointers for how to properly manage periods of drawdown or periods of losing trades where you're sort of on a run of losers and you just really feel like nothing can go right. I know you kind of head on it there with, you know, not getting attached to the outcome, but how should a trader 
properly manage a drawdown and and maybe if you could touch on the risk management aspect of that as well. Okay, that's a really big part of staying in the game. So I could tell you in my career, I've I've gone through rough patches every single year that I've been a trader. Um, if anybody has ever told you that they come in and they make huge money every day of the year, every year, then you'll want to check that tr- trader's credentials. The fact is, most of the money is made in a short period of time, a short segment of the year. The rest of the year is simply staying a foot with the market so that when that opportunity comes to push, for example, the China correction in August, you know, that big drop, you had to you had to have been in the market and consistently in the market and following the same routine all the time to be able to participate in that in any meaningful way. And part of the process of having, you know, a few short weeks of really, really good good trades, good returns, uh, a lot of weeks of just grinding along, kind of making a living just like everybody else. But then there's also that rough patch. We call it the rough patch. And I've had rough patches that have lasted anywhere from two weeks to 10 weeks. And they come and go with time. And most of the time, they simply force me to go back to you know, go back to stage three of, of competence, what we, what we would call conscious competence. In other words, consciously, deliberately, focusedly following some sort of a plan or our original plan or a modified plan to suit the current market conditions. And so the way to manage rough patches is to have an understanding of when one has occurred. And the way you know one has occurred is to is to look at the streaks that you have. And this is, again, the conversation is always going to go back to really good record keeping. I mean, you're running a business. Just imagine you're running a bakery or an auto dealership or something. It would be crazy to think that you're selling something or you're running a business without some really accurate bookkeeping. Trading is a business and bookkeeping is a huge part of this business. And so you can always go back and understand that Okay, I I recognize a losing streak as, for me, a losing streak is four consecutive down days in a row. And I'm, I'm speaking about consecutive down days where I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to do as opposed to going off the handle and starting to fight the market or something. Those don't count as consecutive down days. It just counts as me being emotional and stupid, which means I need time off. And that's what I force myself to do is just to detach, just move away. But if I have four down days and I'm following my plan, then it tells me that something has dramatically changed. And so my response to that is to, and I'll go into how I'm managing risk through this process, my response to that is to simply take the following day off. The probability of being down four days in a row is, what, 0.5, which is a 50% probability of losing, to the power of four. So there's a six and a quarter percent chance that I would have four losing days in a row. 
So it's like flipping heads four times in a row. So it's 0.5 to the power of four or 6.25%. I know that for me to hit that kind of probability, that's almost two sigma or the second standard deviation. I, I, wait, I'll, I'll back off the statistics a little bit. But for me to hit that, it's pretty hard for me to hit three down days in a row. And that's down days mean I'm down in my PL plus my cost, plus my daily fixed costs, rent, software, all that stuff broken down on a daily basis. The fifth day, I'm off. I'm, I'm not trading the fifth day. The fifth day is me watching the market, doing the homework and everything, watching the market, and I'm spending the day just going through trades from the past, just running through what has happened, uh, pulling up higher time frame charts, and really trying to see, the goal is to see, has something changed dramatically enough in the market to tell me that something's wrong? In fact, last week was one of these weeks where the market was dramatically unusual. We had several days where the market gapped up in a row gapped up and never closed the gap and it just continued in the same direction. Uh, that's unusual behavior. I didn't, I didn't have a drawdown during that, behavior, during that streak, but it tells me that something, hey, be careful, something has changed. How do I manage the losses or the risk intraday? I use a, a, a regressive risk strategy. And so let's say just for relevance sake, let's say that I generally trade 10 lots in the ES, okay? And if I start out the day and I'm trading 10 lots and I take a trade and I take a loss and my loss, my daily loss limit, let's say, is $2,000 or $3,000, let's call it $3,000 per day, Okay, which means that my average update needs to be around $3,000 per day for me to stay in business in the long term. If I reach uh, a third of the way down, then I am cutting my size to six contracts. If I get halfway to $3,000 down, then I'm only trading five. If I get three quarters of the way down, then I'm trading two. And I continue to trade two contracts until I hit that limit. And it's very rare that I hit that loss limit, the daily loss limit. But I want to hit my daily loss limit with the minimum size possible. Now, that's not possible if you're trading one contract um, you know, in the futures or a small share, share size uh, in, in equities. But my goal is not to make back the $1,500 that I've lost this morning or the $2,500 or whatever. That's not my goal. My focus is not the P&L. It really isn't. It took, a, took me a long time to actually be able to, to, to accomplish that. But my goal is to find my alignment with the market. I'm going to repeat that. My goal is not to make the money back. My goal is to find my alignment with the market. In other words, get in the zone and get in gear with the market. To find that wave, to be able to 
recognize that wave that's coming and to be able to paddle my surfboard on top of it and to to finally stand and ride that wave back to shore. That's my goal. And I'm not going to be able to do that by insisting on trading 10 lots and 10 lots and 10 lots and taking losses and then, boom, five losses, five trades on a 10 lot and I'm out $3,000 and I have to stop for the day. That's not going to help me. What I want to do is hit that $3,000 loss limit with my smallest size possible. Because if I can't, can't accomplish that with two contracts to where I can find my alignment and start building my account back up with a series of really good positive trades, then I'm not putting in, I'm not giving myself enough sample size or enough samples of trades to be able to find that alignment. So imagine the opposite. Imagine if you ha you traded 10 lots and you have a $3,000 limit for the day before you have to stop for the day. Imagine if I go ha halfway through and I lose $1,500 and then all of a sudden I put on a 20-lot trade and that 20-lot trade wipes away the rest of the $1,500. Okay, So out of the $3,000, I have gotten... I was able to participate in the market twice with two trades. Two trades is not nearly enough to show me that my something's wrong or my plan doesn't have an edge. My goal is to maximize it. If I'm going to if I'm going to give away $3,000, I need to do it with a large as large number of trades as possible because what happens is eventually it I start to find what the market is looking to do I start to find alignment and as I cross if I get down from 0 to 1500 to 2500 to 2800 dollars and all of a sudden I find myself from 2800 dollars down on two contracts I start to come up to 2000 dollars okay I'm back to four contracts I get to down $1,500, I'm up to six contracts or five contracts. Now I have alignment, and now I can start building that position back up. I have the confidence to push those trades or to take the trades that are paying off. I've found the edge again, and I'm building back up. And to me, every other way I've tried for myself and my traders has not worked. I've had traders use a constant, you know, doesn't matter how far you're down, just keep trading the same size. Boop, 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 boop. And most of the time, they just, they just limit out for the day and you know the account's locked and they're done for the day. Uh, what I do is I, I regress. I, I look for a regression in, in the amount of, I'm trading. And my goal is to create as many opportunities to read the market, to trade the market and read the market as possible. And I know that most people don't do that. But that, if, if I hit three days in a row on limit using that method, something is dramatically going wrong. It really is. And if you're trading one or two lots, just start out with your two lots. Halfway to your limit, let's say your limit's you know, $600. You've lost $300 on your two lots. Switch to one lots and get really picky about your trades. Just find the trades that you are 
most confident in that you have the highest probabilities on and stake your one lot on that and it should give you about four trades before you lose the entire amount. What you don't want to do is take your two lot trade, lose $600 on one trade for the day and that is it. That is a very binary way to lose money. Uh, and my intent always in trading is to get the most, to make the market work as hard as possible to take my money away if it will take my money away. And it often does. Uh, but I want to do it on as many trades as possible. I want to do it fighting um, not the market, but I want to do it fighting the probabilities, fighting the negative probability, finding that positive probability, the alignment with the market. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I did want to ask you before we wrap this up here, um, and I actually wanted to ask you about it last time, but we sort of ran out of time then. Also, just a, a couple questions around brokerage. Um, you know, you're obviously the right man to ask. So, you know, when starting out, opening a brokerage account can be somewhat of a daunting task. What are a few things that people should take into consideration before deciding on a broker? Okay, so even though I'm, I'm affiliated with a brokerage, the brokerage is a way for me to fulfill a vision. Uh, and eventually I want to get back to prop using the brokerage, being able to vet people out through the brokerage. That's my goal. So I, my comments are not going to be from the perspective, you know, take it or leave it, not from the perspective of, hey, come to stage five trading. We are the best of the best. That's not the goal. What, I'm, what I want to say is you want to be with a brokerage that, one, gives you the largest, as, as big a number of solutions to whatever trading method or software that you want to use as possible. Uh, stage five trading is an independent introducing broker. In other words, we have relationships with multiple clearing firms providing many, many, many different types and combinations of software. And our brokers are trained to be able to find what it is you're trying to do and to match you up with the lowest cost solution that actually fulfills your need. You know, keeping costs down, especially at the beginning, is, is quite important. So we want you to connect with a piece of software that gives you the data that you need without having to pay additionally for data or to give you the software that you need, the charts that you need, without having to pay additionally for charts. And sometimes you have to pay for additional charts because of the features that you're looking for. So having a broker with a vast number of, of uh, outlets for solutions is important. The the big thing about brokerage, and I wish they would change this at the exchange level, is the fact that people are out there advertising $400 or $300 per contract margins. That is just 8% or 7% of the required exchange margin in futures. Okay, so for the S&P, the required exchange margin is around $5,000. And that... The $5,000 is really 1 to 20 leverage compared to the value of the S&P 500. So you're already getting a lot of leverage with the exchange margin. And then you have these brokers out there that are giving you 10 times that. 
So 200 to 1 leverage. And what that leverage is doing, and people see that advertised everywhere, and so they think it's important that somehow they have to have $500 margins. We don't want to do that. We have access to that in certain certain circumstances, and I manage risk for, for stage five as well as monitor traders. I, I, there have to be some really exceptional circumstances, some experience, a lot of experience or you know, good, good streaks or something that would merit someone getting that much leverage. But we want to delever people. We want you to trade at 50% of required margins. We want you to slow down. That's the thing that most brokers don't do. And I think eventually they will. We want you to slow down. We don't want you to trade a 10 lot on a $5,000 account. You're going to kill yourself within a week or two. And it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your money. It's a waste of our time. And it's a lost opportunity for everybody, including the trader. We want to avoid that. We think that's a disaster. It's kind of like handing a child a, gu- a loaded gun. It's The outcome is not likely to be good. So it's a broker who's concerned about you and understands traders and trading should be helping you manage your risk. And that's what we do best, I believe, on a on a best effort basis. We want to give you the tools to help manage your risk. We want to delever you. Uh, we want you to start slow. You know, $500 margins benefit the, the broker. Uh, every broker wants you to come in and trade 10 lots and trade and trade and trade and churn because they get paid. A broker only gets paid when you trade live. So they want to give you as much buying power as possible. I'm not interested in making money off of traders right now. I'm interested in a longer-term relationship, which includes the, the process of being in this community. It's very important for me to have quality traders as part of our chat community, our weekly webinar community, uh, and, and helping us build a, a sustainable long-term business. And, and, and a lot of traders who... You know, start out trying to trade, but their job gets in the way. It gives us an opportunity to to put them in our, you know, uh, S and P automated trading system, a professionally created trading system, or to invest their money in managed uh, programs, managed funds that are fully regulated, fully transparent, things like that. I want to mention that you know, investing in futures is not suitable for everybody, but. At the same time, we want to make sure we slow someone down. So if you have a broker who is very anxious to quote you a commission, to ter- give you your login and password, and that broker is gone, and they're not doing anything for you, they're not informing you, they're not helping you better, they're not intervening, this is a typical structure that I see in our industry, and this is what we're changing. We want it to be a more personal thing. I, name anyone in the chat room out of 200 some odd people that are in there on a daily basis out of more than 2,000 accounts. I'm able to tell you something about that person. I'm able to tell you what their general performance issues are. You know, Are they chatty? Are they not focused? Are they focused? This, this is what we want. We want more, of, more and more of a community-based structure. And if your broker can offer that, great. If they can't, stage five is ready and willing, you know, not to, not to 
sound like a commercial, but that's that's an important thing for me. And that's, by the way, is what is available to professionals. When I went and started my prop shop at Advantage Futures when they first started in 2004, um, that's what I got. I got the senior VP making sure he knew who I was, knew the names of every one of my traders, made sure that I got the best pricing I could, and made, made sure we're comfortable while we rented office space within their office, um, had the best connections possible, had the best servers possible. It's You really have, build loyalty, and, and now all you need to focus on is the market rather than, you know, could I get a commission somewhere else? Could I get better margin somewhere else? Maybe I can squeeze my broker for five cents or ten cents. It's irrelevant. If you're hemorrhaging thousands of dollars every day because you don't know how to manage your risk, what difference is five cents or ten cents going to make in your commission structure? It it makes no sense. But that's what everybody's focus is on because that's what everybody's adver- everybody in the industry is advertising: better commissions, lower commissions, and lower margins. But in the grand scheme of things, if you want to be a professional, those are those are not um, those seem like a priority, but they're not. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'd just like you to clarify and sort of um, make us clear on is you you describe Stage Five as an independent introducing broker. How does that differ from a typical retail broker? You know, someone like E Trade or you know, just to name a name. Okay, so. Let's take E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, or Thinkorswim. They are, they are, for one, offering you a large number of services. So think of, I know this doesn't exist anymore and I'm uh, dating myself a little bit. Think of going to America Online or Prodigy or CompuServe to get an internet connection. What you're plugging into is a service that is built around giving you as much, um, providing you with as much as possible internally and and then giving you market access. Whereas if you go with an independent broker, you're generally getting direct market access. Um, Someone like TradeStation, for example, uh, has options, has futures, has Forex, or they don't have Forex anymore actually, uh, and and has equities. And they're not exceptional at any one of those, but they're giving you all of those outlets. I would not go to Thinkorswim or E-Trade or Scott Trade or Ameritrade as a professional. I would go direct. I would be seeking, if I'm trading futures, I would want to go with a futures broker, a direct broker. If I'm trading equities, I would want to go with a direct equities broker, and so on and so forth. Uh, That's really the difference. The connection you get from an IIB or an independent broker is not focused on what what service can I get you to be aligned with so that I can sell you on the service that I have. So that's, I am forcing you to fit what I'm offering, okay? And in general, much of what happens after the account's opened is automated. You call because you're stuck in a position, you get a computer that walks you through the process and so on. With us, it is we tailor the service to you. It's, we're going in the opposite direction. So if Aaron wants to come in and he someone who has used CQG Trader and wants to 
power his you know multi charts using CQG. I'm not going to sit here and say no. You'll have to th- use our Thinkorswim platform, <laughs> and that's it. I am going to get you the CQG trader, the same environment, the same charts, and I'm going to make it work for you at the best possible cost. That's what your broker should be doing, as opposed to forcing you to align yourself with what I have to offer. Because it's hard enough to trade. It's hard enough to align yourself with the market. Now you have to learn a new platform and you have to learn a new process and figure out how to get your charts to look the way they did. That's not what we do. We just reach out to as many vendors as possible, as many clearing firms as possible and try to provide the solution. If we don't, our brokers are required to basically say, we can't do it. We're sorry, but here's the number of someone who can. Even if we don't make money on it, you're off on your way to getting what you need. You need to have access to equities plus Forex plus futures. Well, we're a futures-only broker. Here's, here's where you should probably go. You know, and and that's that's really the difference as opposed to a giant kind of organization that is has is already set its course kind of like a big ship and it's hard for it to turn with with the, the, the technology and what's being offered. It's hard for it to integrate that until much, much later. We are very malleable because we're small, we have access to all these pieces and we don't own or or maintain any of the software. It's someone else's software. We just make it available to you. That's all. Very good. Very good. Okay. All right. Well, let's wind this down. So FT, where is the best place to go if a listener wants to find out more about you? So uh, you can find me online at uh, futuresTrader71.com. Uh, hit the contact link and uh, drop me a note. Uh, if I can help you, I'd be happy to do it. And the otherwise, you can find me on Twitter. Just go to twitter.com forward slash futurestrader71 or at futurestrader71. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm participating in there all day long, every day while the market's open. Um, and as always, if I can guide you in the right direction, great. If I can't, uh, then I'll let you know. Awesome, awesome. No, I appreciate that. And I noticed you just had the website redone recently. It's looking good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a slow process to redo those websites, but, uh, but this one's a lot more friendly, I hope. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, man. Well, it's been awesome to have you back on again. Um, really incredible insights. So thank you very much for taking the time to, sh- to share with us. Always a pleasure, and I really appreciate your broadcast. I think it's probably helped more people than you think you have. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. 